0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bibles or open your Bible apps to the book of Ephesians. I want to just let you know, this will be the third time that I've preached this message this weekend. Did you know that we do this before you guys show up? Did you know that? And I gotta admit, the first two times, I have been sadly disappointed at my ability to articulate the truth that is contained in the passage of scripture that we are about to read. And I don't know if I'm preaching any worse or any better, I just know that I do not have the capacity in my limited humanity to make what we're about to, to read sound massively important and yet that is my job this morning. Can, can I get a little help from you this morning? If, if I promise to do everything within my power to explain, illustrate, and apply this passage, would you promise to do everything within your capacity to listen and lean in and have a hunger for what you are about to be fed? Is this a two-way street this morning? Okay, maybe I'll feel a little better about it at the end after I've heard it three times. Okay? This is just an incredible passage of scripture. How many of you were here last weekend and you heard the message I preached last weekend? I attempted to preach a three-point message last week, but I didn't get to point three or point two because this passage is so rich telling us who we are in Christ and we learned that the book of Ephesians is divided into these two sections. The first section is all about the indicatives. God wants us to know who we are and then the second half is about the imperatives, the implications of who we are bear weight on what we do. Our identity governs our activity. I am prone in my preaching to race to the imperatives and yet we're still in the indicative section. We simply need to be reminded who we are, who is our true identity. Now tonight, out behind the church, we're having our annual fall festival. With a name like Harvest, you have to have a fall festival, right? So we're all gonna dress up and some of you are going to pretend to be people who you really aren't. The only time that's allowed is during the fall festival. Do you understand that? God wants you to act like who you really are, except for a couple of hours when we're passing out candy and having fun, okay? So we're gonna do that tonight, but we want to be reminded who we are. Would you like to know who you are? I reminded you first of all, the first of these three points last week, we said this, I am chosen for adoption and because I'm chosen for adoption, I will pursue holy humility. The fact that God would want to have anything to do with me, the fact that he would want to make me one of his children and give me his identity and change my name and legally put me in a position where I receive blessing from him, that should absolutely bring incredible humility into my life and I should pursue the holiness because of this new identity I have in Christ. I just by way of review, let's read what we said last week. Verse three, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption, there it is, adoptions as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That brings us to point number two, and here it is. Because I am redeemed for his purpose, I will live according to his plan. Because I'm redeemed for his purpose, I will live according to his plan. Look at verse seven. In him, we have redemption. Underline the word redemption, circle it. If the person next to you is not doing that, just lean over and do it for them. We have to understand the massive implications of redemption. In him, we have redemption I have been redeemed, that is my true identity. So let's try to understand the implications of redemption. In order to understand this, I need to figure out who's in the room. Some of you will understand redemption better than others. How many of you remember the days when you would go to the grocery store and, as you were checking out, the nice cashier would stick her finger in a weird little machine and turn the dial, and out of the end of it would come something that looks like this. How many of you remember SNH green stamps? Keep your hands in the air. We want to look at you now. Look around. Um, do you notice all the people that have their hands in the air have either gray hair or no hair? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Now listen, this this had it's like I some of the millennials. How many of you have no idea what an SNH Green Stamp is? Okay, think Starbucks Gold Card. Okay, that's what you can do. That's you see what you would do is you would get these piles and piles of stamps, and then you had to go home and you had to lick them. I remember that. You remember that? I remember doing this when I was a kid. My mom would get these things, and you'd have to stick them in the books, and then after a year or two or three of collecting these massive collections of books where would you have to go with the SNH green stamps redemption. you would have to go to the redemption center because that's where all the loot was that you could now purchase with these SNH green stamps you see the SNH green stamps had no value until they were redeemed and the same is true of you. You're nothing but a sticky, nasty-tasting S&H green-stamped until you are redeemed. I mean, I remember my mom and I go into the SH green stamps with, you know, like five pounds of these, these SH green stamps, and we would redeem them and walk out with our toaster. You know, it's like, really? That's all we get? And we thought, we'd, we thought that was a bargain, you know? We worked really hard for that. Well, listen, God is in the process of redeeming people. And do you know what this place is? This is a redemption center. This is where worthless people come and people that think they have no value in worth, they come to have their value exchanged in their true identity and God gives us value. In order to understand this word redemption here, it has three aspects. First of all, I want you to understand that to be redeemed means that we are delivered from slavery. You see, back in the Old Testament days, a person that was redeemed was a person who had been bought and paid for by a slave owner and because of this taskmaster, this slave owner, that slave went away in chains and in bonds to perform the duties of his master What we understand is that we are all born into this world spiritually enslaved to sin and it is only by the gracious act of a redeemer who purchases purchases us off the slave, slave market and gives us a new identity because we get a new master. To be redeemed means I am set free from the slavery to sin. And we're all born into this world slaves to sin. You have no freedom. You're addicted to the sin's pleasure. You think that that sin is somehow going to treat you better, but it always ends up being a cruel taskmaster. And we have been redeemed from our slavery to sin. The picture in the Old Testament, when, when Paul wrote that word redemption in this letter to this actual church in Ephesus, it brought back to mind the nation of Israel who had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years until one day God sent a death angel that was to kill the firstborn son of all of those who were not under the blood. God told his people to take the blood of a lamb and shed it over the doorpost, and then as the death angel came through, it would pass over in mercy those who were under the blood. The next morning, when those Israelites woke up, they came out of their doorways through the blood into their newfound freedom. God had redeemed them through the blood. Do you see it there? In verse seven, in him we have redemption through the blood. Do you understand the implications of redemption? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what names you have been called, no matter what you've been accused of, if you will come this morning through the blood of the lamb, you can have a new identity, you can be set free from your slavery to sin, and you can be redeemed. I have a new identity no matter what I've done that should cause you to erupt in praise. See, I'm not doing a very good job, you're not either. It's like there's no way to describe the value of the words that we're reading here. I'm so glad that we have music and musicians that can put lyrics to it. We're gonna sing again before this is over with because we need to give God praise for what he's done as an act of redemption. So, I told you it has three aspects. First of all, it's deliverance from slavery. Secondly, it's restoration to its original purpose. Redemption means that the redeemer restores broken things. The redeemer takes battered people who have lost their value, dignity, and worth, and he restores them to its original useful purpose. We have redemption. Yesterday, I did what so many people do in South Bend on fall Saturdays around 3.30 in the afternoon, I went to Goodwill. How many of you um, went to Goodwill yesterday uh, around that time? Yeah, so, and, and the reason was that I was cleaning out the garage and there's this, there's this refrigerator that my son brought home from his first year of college and apparently it had seen several generations of first year college students and uh, he, it, I think he upgraded to something else and he would left this thing in the garage. It was just kind of, it, it had no purpose. We didn't need a, a dorm refrigerator and, and so I did what you do with things that no longer have purpose. You load it up and you take it to Goodwill. And as I'm taking it to the good the man at the Goodwill store, we're unloading it here, you know, and I'm wondering who's going to be the next proud owner of this refrigerator. The, the guy that was actually bringing it into the Goodwill store, he got so excited because he just moved into a, a new little apartment and he needed a little refrigerator. And I mean, he looked at that the way that I look at like Cars on a dealership parking lot. I mean, like, whoa! You know, this is like everything I've ever wished for. You know, you know what he did to the refrigerator? He redeemed it, and I'm sure that this morning it's all sitting there in his nice little apartment there, and he's probably got some bottles of water and diet coke and <laughs> Kool-Aid and whatever else that. Uh, college student would put in a little refrigerator like that. So anyway, he has redeemed this refrigerator. Do you understand you and you and I we in Christ have been restored to usefulness. Our dignity, value and worth was lost in the slave market of sin and God has set us free. In redemption, we have value, dignity, and worth. So, three aspects to redemption. Number one, we're delivered from slavery. Number two, we're restored to our original purpose. And number three, we are purchased with ransom. Notice the cost that God paid to redeem us. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Our redemption was free to us, but it cost God the lifeless body of his own son. If you ever wonder if you have value, think about the price that was paid for our sin. I, and purchased at great price and that blood bought what notice the forgiveness of our trespasses forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation of the debt that was incurred as a result of the damage they caused by their sin. God, by his grace, has made the decision to not collect on the debt that we owed him. Full and free forgiveness. Some of you, anybody have any debt? You don't have to admit it or anything, but you have any debt, You any credit card debt, mortgage payment on the house, the cards, you got, you got some debt, what if? a redeemer step forward and say, it's all gone. You don't don't have to pay any more. Do you know what they would do in the Old Testament with people that couldn't pay their debt? They sold them into slavery to pay it off. And if the financial position of the family improved, then a redeemer would step forward and pay the debt. That's what Christ has done. At great cost to himself, he has paid the debt that we owed. I'm no longer a slave, I have a new freedom and a new fulfillment and a new purpose to live. Notice it says that we're forgiven by, we're forgiven of our trespasses, the NIV says sins. Trespasses is a good word, sometimes I remember being out in the woods on a trail and I'll see a sign that says no trespassing. Apparently the owner does not want me stepping or stumbling onto land that belongs to him. Do you understand that our sin is stumblings or deliberately stepping outside the boundaries of where I'm supposed to be walking? And we've all done it. Uh, on Thursday, I took my car in for some routine maintenance and I thought it'd be a good time to test drive a, a car. So I saw all these cars out on the parking lot, found one like that, and was like, okay, give me the keys. Talk to a salesman, and I test drove this car for a day. I, I, I'm driving down uh, Cleveland Road. It's a four-lane road. I'm in my lane, and the minivan that is in the right lane decides he wants to come into my lane. I am in his blind spot. He doesn't see me and so he drifts into my lane and if it was not for my superior driving skills, I would be enslaved in debt to the dealership that I was driving their car. Drifting into the lane. Some of you have done that with your sin. You're not driving in the lane you're supposed to be driving in and because of that, You have caused great damage to yourself and to the glory of God. And so our trespasses need to be forgiven. In redemption, that's what we have. And then it says at the end of verse seven, according to the riches, the incredible inexhaustible wealth of God's grace. God's grace simply means he treats us better than we deserve. He gives us more than we deserve by his grace, not because of our goodness, simply based on the inexhaustible riches of his grace. Verse eight, which he lavished upon us. The word lavished is an amazing word. It means superabundant abundant in quantity, And in quality. It was actually the word that they would use when they would talk about a downpour of rain in a heavy thunderstorm. Just absolutely saturating and soaking everything, more rain than we need. And God has given us a downpour of His grace. No matter how lavish your sin is, God's grace is super abundant in quantity and quality to cover, to soak, to saturate the damage that your sin has caused. He's lavished upon us His grace in all wisdom and insight. I mean, for some of us, our lives have become so complicated because of sin. takes God incredible wisdom and insight to even unravel all of the dysfunction that our trespass and sin has caused. And yet, he steps into the situation, he provides the remedy, he pulls us out, he gives us a new identity, no matter how deeply complex your sinful activity has made your life. And not only does he set us free from being a slave to sin, do you know what he does? He brings us into a relationship with him that is described as a righteous slavery. Notice in Romans chapter six, verse 17 and 18, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. There's a misconception in the church that somehow obedience is kind of forced upon us from the outside in and you have to stay in the rules and you have to be told a thousand times. No, when you have your identity in Christ, your obedience is from the heart. It's from the inside out, not forced upon you from the outside in. And he says, not only have you been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. You love to obey your master because he has been so good to you. You don't want to go free trespassing into other people's territory. And so God has given us this new identity. He has given us a release and a ransom from the trespasses of our sin. And then notice it says in verse nine, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Do you see the word plan there in verse 10? Again, it's a very interesting Greek word. The word is economia, sound like a word that you know in English? Economy, it's where we get our word economy. It means a plan or an administration. Aren't you grateful that our economy is not dependent upon the Democrats or the Republicans to figure out But God's plan, God's economy never fails. God is executing his plan and it cannot be stopped. It has no rivals. God has executed the plan of redemption according to his purpose as a plan, verse 10, for the fullness of time. See the phrase, fullness of time? It could be translated this way when the time is ripe. When the time is ripe. Now, if you're a thinking person, you should be sitting back saying, wait, 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 wait. I look around and it does not appear to me that the plan is working out really good. Because I just got diagnosed with cancer and my kid's out of control and my husband doesn't love me anymore and the economy's crashing and the political candidates are corrupt. Now you're telling me God's in control? In the fullness of time. When the time is ripe, you will step back and you will see that the purposes and the plan of God cannot be stopped. In the fullness of time. When the time is right, to do what? What's he gonna do? He tells us he will unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to unite all things. What does that mean? That means he's going to bring together things in heaven and things on earth. Right now the things on earth don't look a whole lot like the things in heaven. He's going to unite them. He's going to unite his plan from the beginning to the end. He's going to bring them together. We're about in that season where all the parents of the five-year-olds and six-year-olds are gonna go to the store and you're gonna buy boxes of toys and if you're not careful, you're gonna miss the little label on the outside of the box that says, some assembly required. And you are going to be deceived into thinking you're smart enough to unite all the things in the box. Probably not gonna happen, okay? But in God's plan, in God's wisdom, do you know what he's going to do? He's going to assemble, unite everything according to its plan. Right now all the puzzle pieces are just disjointed and out of control, but we who are redeemed Have committed our lives to a God, and we've said because of our redemption, we will live according to His plan. We understand I have a purpose bigger than myself, and I am a part of God's plan. The fact that I am in His family as an adopted child, redeemed through His blood, forgiven of sin, I'm here on purpose, I'm saved on purpose. I'm a part of God's plan, and because I'm a part of his plan, I am going to be a part of his mission. Now, I am not just the recipient of his plan, I'm the distributor of his plan. To communicate to others, you can now be a part of the plan. You can be redeemed. That's why we live on mission, above the circumstances that we see played out in front of us, okay? So... I have redemption according to his purpose, so I will live according to his plan. Here's the third thing. Because I am assured an inheritance, I will live for what is waiting for me. Because I am assured of an inheritance, I will live for what is waiting for me. Look at verse 11. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Oh my, how in the world am I going to explain this to you? Just know this. You You are assured of an inheritance. Now put it all together. I am an adopted child of God. I have Received redemption through his blood. But some of you are thinking, how can I be sure? How how can I know? Some of you, you lay your head on the pillow at night. The last thing you do before you go to bed is like, Lord, I messed it up today. I'm sure at some point you gave up on me and I'm sure I didn't do everything I was supposed to do and so I, I, I hope I'll do better tomorrow. Now listen, Some of you are thinking, Trent, what if I don't live up my true identity in Christ? Listen, write this down. You won't. (laughs) You didn't yesterday. Chances are not real good tomorrow. You won't. Your activity won't match your identity. You say, but what, what? I know I've been forgiven Sins, but what if I sin tomorrow? Write this down. You will. If you have a man centered approach to salvation, you will live in fear and doubt that your next sin will send you to hell. Write this down. It should, but it won't, why? Because God has assured you're gonna get the inheritance. Well that's more than I deserve, that's the point. He has lavished his grace upon you. Every now and then I run into people that just cannot swallow the idea that there is nothing I can do to lose my salvation. I remember when I was a teenager in high school. I, uh, I have this very vivid memory of being on a school bus. We had gone to a drama competition about two hours away, and on the way home, I know it doesn't surprise you, I was drama student of the year and uh, uh, on the way home I remember getting into a conversation, I was presenting the gospel to a, a girl and was talking about how, how she could know for certain, absolutely no doubt that she is on her way to heaven if she has genuinely given her heart and life to Christ, been born again, been redeemed, been adopted and she's just like, I can't, you, you cannot ever know that. Yes you can. Well, you can't say that because then if if I knew that my salvation was secure, if I knew there was nothing I could do to lose my salvation, what would be the incentive for me to ever obey God? I mean, you're, you're giving people just a license to go sin all they want if you tell people that your inheritance is assured. No, I'm not. There is another incentive for you to live out your true identity. I wanna show it to you. I just want to remind you of what's in the passage. I want you to notice in this paragraph, the only one who is working to do anything to contribute to my salvation is God. Did you see it? God has gone to the trouble to legally declare me I am adopted into his family. That means he's changed my identity. He's changed my name. By his own authority, he has gone to the trouble to change my legal status. If somehow I was to lose my salvation, he would have to legally change my status back to guilty, hardened sinner on the way to hell. Do you think that he just kind of flippantly does that? No, he makes an eternal decree. I have been chosen for adoption. By the way, when did he do that? Before the foundations of the world. Before I had ever sinned one sin. Before I had ever done one good thing, prayed one prayer. God, before the foundation of the Lord, changed my legal status before him. Not only that, the scripture says, he's redeemed me through his blood. His son on the cross bled out every drop as a payment for my sin. And if the price has been paid, that guarantees my salvation. It doesn't just make an opportunity for me to one day respond to that. God guarantees that all for those whom Jesus died will be saved. It's guaranteed. Not only that, that God has appointed me as an heir of his estate. Do you see the words See the words in verse 11? We have obtained an inheritance. Even though that takes five English words, it's one Greek word. It means to appoint or allot or to assign an inheritance. There's so many families that the hardest thing that they ever do is receive an inheritance. You know why? because brothers and sisters wanna fight over the jewelry. They're not quite sure who mom intended to get what? Not in God's family. God has allotted, appointed an inheritance and it is never to be questioned, it's never in doubt. God has predestined us according to his purpose. He has planned my salvation. And notice in verse 11, it says, according to the purpose of him who works. Who's working? God is working. It is God's works that ensure my salvation and secure my inheritance. Not only that, it says down in verse 13, incredible passage. The second part of verse 13 says this, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When he put the word sealed in there, it, mean, it meant much more to them than it means to us. Because back in the day, if you wanted to secure something, you would put a seal on it. You would take some hot wax and you would put it over the seam of a letter or a scroll. Maybe a king would de- decree something as a legal document. He would roll it up and then he would seal that document by melting hot wax over it and then you know what he would do? He would take his ring called a signet ring. The ring had his identity on it so that when he pressed it into the hot wax, it sealed what he had decreed with his identity and by his authority. And God says, you were sealed by his identity and his authority, never to be broken. God has sealed us, notice, with his promise. Does God break his promises? No, his promised Holy Spirit. So what is the incentive to live out my identity. It's not so that I can work my way to heaven. It's because the Holy Spirit won't let me get away with sin. The Holy Spirit is given given to us to convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment, and so every time I trespass, every time I step out of bounds, do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes and he pulls me back in line. He impresses on my heart, that's not who you are, so that's not what you're supposed to do, and so my Inheritance is based on what the Holy Spirit does assuring that I will live out my true identity. And he goes on and says, if you don't believe that, look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee? Do you like to buy things that have a guarantee? God has given you his guarantee of your inheritance until We acquire possession of it. So here are the implications. I never have to wonder, ever have to wonder if God will give up on me. I have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of my inheritance. And that means I have a helper to help my activity match my identity. And I can now hold my possessions loosely because my net worth, my value is not dependent upon what I grip here and now. I can let go, I can pry my fingers off of my bank account and off of my things and I can freely give them as God directs knowing that what is waiting for me is so much more valuable than anything I hold on to here. My security is not based in my security system protecting the stuff that I'm so insecure that I'm going to lose. My security system is the promised Holy Spirit that guarantees even if I lose everything I have here, nothing can touch what I have there. It's guaranteed. And so why aren't you giving in the offering? It's because you're holding on to it thinking that somehow if I give this away, I lose security. No. People that have an eternal inheritance can assign God's stuff anywhere he wants it to go. Freely. Holding it loosely. And then finally this. I have a glorious future. Did you have a glorious past? Anybody who standing up talking about how glorious your past was? No. No. Um, you have a glorious today, glorious present? I mean, candy and costumes are fun, but is that glorious? No, no, waiting for me is the day when my true identity becomes reality. About this time of the year, you know what happens here in Michiana, right? Um, it kinda happened this morning, but as I try to describe what life is like in Michiana to friends that live in other parts of the country, I have to tell them that around November, there's this phenomena that happens. There is the visit from the great permacloud that begins to hover our beloved little community here. And we say goodbye to the sun until April, right? Is this true? All right, am I the only one? All right, so, so we're living here in the final days of sunshine for the next four or five months, right? So, so enjoy it while it lasts, but we're, we're going to say goodbye because we know that the sun just doesn't shine between November and March, correct? Well, I got people saying no. Oh, the sun really does shine? Oh, we just can't see it. Yeah, that's my point. So often we live under this spiritual permacloud, forgetting what is above the clouds. I love to get in the airplane, I love to get the the window seat, right? Because you get above the clouds even in January and you say, oh, there it is, what's that called? Oh, it's a sun. And there really is light above the clouds. That's what God wants us to know about our identity. He wants you to know that even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when other people are denying it, I am a chosen child of God. I am adopted. And secondly, I am redeemed. Even when I stumble and fall and trespass, the riches of his grace have been lavished upon me. I have forgiveness through his blood. I have redemption. And then thirdly, I have an inheritance and I can live for a better day when my identity will become a reality. I want us to stand right now and let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and let's just let those truths just kind of flood over our hearts like a downpour. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for, there for a minute? These are things that God has said are true of all those in Christ. Just let that blow a circuit for a minute. Let that provoke worship in your heart and gratitude. Let that provoke a responsibility to share that truth with those who need to be redeemed, those who need forgiveness from sin, those who need to be set free from the slavery of sin. And maybe there are some here today, that's you. You don't have an assurance of your salvation. You really shouldn't because you haven't seen your identity changed by a legal decree of God. Even though God is the only one that works in this passage, it does say that we have a responsibility to hear the gospel and to believe that what Christ did on that cross, His blood for my sin is where I'm gonna put my trust, my faith. I can trust Him no matter what I've done if you need to be saved this morning, if you need to be redeemed, why don't you come to the Redemption Center? Got pastors here at the front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to explain how you can walk out of here with absolute assurance that you have an inheritance as, as an adopted child of God. Lord, thank you for what you have done to pursue us in grace. Lord, thank you for reminding of us of our true identity. And so often the devil accuses us and lies to us and assigns things to us that are not true. And so by faith today, we believe that you have treated us better than we deserve. You've given us more than we deserve. God, we celebrate that. We erupt in worship to the praise of your glorious grace. May it change our activity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.